how many of us would be able to call ourselves global citizens? Yes, in the basic understanding of the word, we are citizens of the world. But on a more complex level, could we say that our identity and thoughts can transcend political and geographical borders in order to properly engage with the world? So I bet you wonder why I'm asking this. Recently, as part of my English degree, I completed an essay on the novel The Reluctant Fundamentalist by Mohsen Hamid. In short, it's a book about a Pakistani man's American experience pre and post 9-11, and it provides an Eastern perspective to an event that was almost exclusively portrayed through a Western lens in the media. The way the novel covers topics such as racism, media hysteria, and the duality of historical narratives following 9-11 really got me thinking about how many people jump on the bandwagon when it comes to current events, and how this is kind of exacerbated in the age of social media, with so much fake news flying about and being constantly shared. And I think most people would agree, certain media outlets flourish off of people's ignorance in order to create the most dramatic headline. Ofcom reported in 2020 that 45% of people were getting their news from social media. So this is really, really worrying. So, taking this fact into consideration, I think an education in the humanities is one of the most valuable tools we can have in making us better global citizens, less vulnerable to fake news and less susceptible to consuming these headlines as a truth. For clarity, by humanities I mean any subject that studies aspects of human society and culture, but I'm mostly going to be focusing on the skills I've learned in history, English and modern languages. Interpreting the news stories of today requires independent thought, as well as critical and creative thinking in order to see the inherent bias present in many news headlines and social media posts. These skills are cultivated in humanities education, where humanities students are taught to evaluate evidence, incorporate alternative points of view and analyse arguments, as well as ensuring their own arguments are well-structured, coherent and cover all bases. Here's the thing, the media can twist scientific statistics and figures to support their narrative and make a headline more eye-catching and appealing, which consequently gets more shares and interaction from their audience on social media in the immediate sharing culture of today. These catchy headlines with scary statistics intentionally disregard the systematic knowledge taught to history students of how history, social structures and culture are responsible for driving individuals and communities. To give a full picture, two-sided historical view of a situation simply does not make their story as exciting and unprecedented. And it's true what they say, you don't see the face behind the statistic, or equally, the face behind the headline. I really want to take the news of this week as an example of this. I, for one, was shocked at the amount of people sharing news of the conflict between Palestine and Israel online, especially on platforms like Instagram. Bearing in mind this is a conflict that's been going on for over 70 years, that's 70 years worth of historical context that people were attempting to suddenly summarise in a single social media post. Now, I'm not going to give a whole history of the unresolved conflict, as we would be here for hours but it is predominantly about the Israeli half-century military occupation of Palestine, specifically the Gaza Strip, which after years of tension has re-escalated in recent weeks due to the eviction of Palestinian families from Sheikh Jarrah in East Jerusalem and the storming of the Al-Aqsa Mosque by the Israeli police. The Palestinian militant group Hamas responded by firing rockets at Jerusalem. 
Now, it's an issue that's been dominating social media over the past couple of weeks. Let's be clear, I think it's so important to bring awareness to examples of state brutality, but when people become complicit in sharing news posts as a trend, it can be severely problematic and misleading if you don't analyse where the source is coming from, who is benefiting from the public sharing of the source, why the source was created, and the potential misinterpretations that could be the result of sharing such a source on a public forum. For example, in terms of the conflict between Palestine and Israel, people were sharing posts referencing the Zionists as the perpetrators of the attacks, when, in reality, they should be referring to the Israeli government or the Israeli far right. This is problematic on so many levels. Not only the factually incorrect depiction that it is a religious conflict, but also it encourages anti-Semitism through suggesting that all Jews are to blame for the conflict. Equally, other posts I saw online were blaming Muslims and all Palestinians for the actions of Hamas. We need to be clearer, especially on social media, on holding leadership and extremists accountable and seeing beyond the narrative of the volatile East that is so frequently pushed onto us by Western media. So interestingly, I was having a conversation with a friend about this mass sharing of the conflict on social media, and he's actually lived in Tel Aviv and Israel for the last four years. We were talking about a certain video that had been circulating on people's Instagram stories, which showed Israelis dancing outside the Palestinian mosque Al-Aqsa in East Jerusalem that had been attacked. And the video had the caption of, Israelis dance and celebrate while Al-Aqsa mosque burns. The video had been shared by one of our mutual friends, who we both know is not anti-Semitic, but was obviously trying to bring attention to a situation, but perhaps hadn't done the relevant background research. But then subsequent videos that came out in the news from different angles showed it was a tree near to the mosque that caught fire and the mosque was not damaged by the blaze. Now, the initial reaction to someone not educated in the conflict, i.e. the majority of people who would view this on social media, would be that the Jews were celebrating the destruction and brutalisation of the Palestinians. And initially I was shocked by it, which is why I decided to ask my friend who lives in Israel about it. He confirmed that it was a tree on fire in the video, and it was set on fire not by the Israelis celebrating, but by Palestinians who had set fireworks off at the Israeli police. And the Israelis were not dancing because they were happy to see such destruction, but because of a national holiday of Jerusalem Day. This highlights this dual narrative of the situation and the news in general. The Palestinians said the fire was caused by Israeli officers throwing stun grenades, and then the Israeli police said it was a result of the fireworks being thrown at them by Palestinian worshippers. However, the video shared pushed this narrative that all Israelis lack empathy and wish harm on Arabs and Palestinians, which of course couldn't be further from the truth, and such videos could be dangerously manipulated to justify anti-Semitism. The point of what I'm saying is it's impossible to fit the whole of the Middle Eastern crisis into one infographic, and every post we read online has an inherent bias. Not enough people do the required research, especially on a topic as complex as the Israel-Palestine conflict, before blindly reposting a hard-hitting infographic to their followers. And this facilitates the spread of fake news and, like we have seen from this example, also more dangerous consequences like racism and anti-Semitism. My friend said that he's lived in Israel for four years and gets more and more confused by the conflict every day. So how can it possibly be explained in a single social media post? 
really interestingly, this topic was recently covered in an interview conducted by the New York Times with Aria Kovler, who's a political analyst and independent researcher in Jerusalem. And he said, and I quote, a lot of it is rumor and broken telephone, but it is being shared right now because people are desperate to share information about the unfolding situation. What makes it more confusing is that it is a mix of false claims and genuine stuff, which is being attributed to the wrong place or the wrong time. A good example of this fake news that he's talking about is a report by Sky News on how Twitter placed a media manipulation warning on a tweet by Ofer Gendelman, who's a spokesman for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And this tweet was shared with his 97,000 followers. He tweeted a 28-second video that he claimed showed Hamas firing rockets towards Israel during the latest round of violence. And he said it was evidence of a war crime with the caption, hashtag Gaza now. However, it's since been discovered that the video posted is at least two years old, originally posted in 2018 and filmed in the Syrian city of Dara. This is where the value of the humanities comes to light. These examples show the need to question the source of what we see being shared online and what organisation is responsible for sharing it and why. In a conflict as complex as Israel-Palestine, it is hard to find sources with completely unbiased authors. This makes the critical eye and analytical eye of the humanities all the more important in avoiding the sharing of information that is factually incorrect and could ultimately be very damaging. I mean, there are examples of this everywhere. We even saw it happen with the pandemic. I was recently reading a really interesting article by scholar Alison Escalant, and she was commenting on a new study that people who get their news mainly from social media are more likely to believe falsehoods about coronavirus. They're also less likely to practice social distancing or to think COVID-19 is a threat. Conversely, those who get their news from more traditional news media are more likely to follow public health recommendations. I think most people are used to taking news headlines about coronavirus with a pinch of salt nowadays. But let's go back to the fact that 45% of people in 2020 received their daily news off of social media. Can you imagine the amount of fake news we would absorb unknowingly without a critical eye? This is exactly why I think an education in the humanities has a critical public role in combating the rise of fake news in this instant sharing culture we're living in. Students of the humanities are taught to assess and analyse historical evidence, learn about the complexities of the major world religions, and interest is cultivated in other cultures through speaking a foreign language. The list goes on, but in short, it encourages global citizenship. Through my degree alone, and my pathways English, We're taught that an essay can never achieve high marks unless it incorporates opposing views to your own argument, which we're then taught to analyse and work out where this alternative analysis has originated from and how this could create a wider picture, or in English terms, a deeper reading of the novel. I think the same skills are needed to dissect the fake news of today. We need to critically examine what we are being shown and work out to whose advantage it serves. Having a selection of facts is useless without the ability to contextualise them or understand how a certain narrative was assembled. Without this critical eye that we gain from the humanities, we become vulnerable to the stereotypes and ignorance that we see in so many media posts online, which can often depict a very singular narrative. 
The constant questioning that is so cultivated in a humanities degree serves a vital public role in dissecting the fake news that is now, unfortunately, ubiquitous online. So I was really lucky in experiencing this firsthand when I did an internship a couple of months ago for the sustainability team at the huge online fashion brand ASOS. There is so much fake news to dissect in this sector as well, with greenwashing being a really big problem and brands showing images of sustainability because they think it's on trend at the moment without any practices to back up their claims. I was responsible for going through databases to find evidence of consumer perceptions of sustainability. And again, my humanities degree was so useful in not taking a survey where, for example, 70% of people claim to leave their house to recycle packaging at face value and digging deeper to evaluate whether there was potentially an attitude behaviour gap to most of this data. Also, as an English student, I then used my understanding of narratology to translate that data meaningfully and come up with four succinct consumer trends in terms of sustainability. This is a key skill cultivated by the humanities, the ability to summarise someone else's position and think critically about the assumptions underlying it, and then form my own analysis backed up with evidence. My degree helped me realise that you can't just jump in the deep end on an issue that has multiple different aspects and is so much more complex than people realise, and that it can't be solved by sharing a post supporting a sustainable brand without questioning what makes it sustainable and on what basis these claims are being made. How can I examine this with a critical eye and not take what I'm reading at face value? So, the big question. Could I have done the internship with an education in sciences? In terms of locating the factual evidence on a database, perhaps. But my ability to analyse consumer trends and look at the reasoning behind them and question from what sources these sustainability assumptions were coming from, as well as obviously the creativity in finding other solutions to plastic packaging, I think that critical eye can only be a result of a humanities education. I was really struck by what a scholar named Martha Nussbaum said on this topic in an essay titled Why Democracy Needs the Humanities. She, I think, summed up what I've been talking about perfectly when she said, the ability to think critically, the ability to transcend local loyalties and to approach world problems as a citizen of the world, the ability to imagine sympathetically the predicament of another person. These are the values precious for the future of democracy. I found this so interesting, as we often forget that a humanities degree, whilst cultivating a critical eye, also cultivates imagination. Through reading literature like The Reluctant Fundamentalist, through speaking a different language, through studying the history of another country, these are all encouraging a different perspective to our own through imagining ourselves in the shoes of people across the world from us. Ultimately, it is this global vision which is going to be key to delivering the facts that people need to hear in order to make change and act on a global scale. And fake news is seriously detracting from that and acting to divide instead of unite. The humanities serve to provide us with a wider, more detailed and more cultured picture where we are constantly challenging and criticising the narratives our own communities are feeding us in order to consider the perspectives of people we don't even know. I don't know the people whose opinions I incorporate into my English essay, but I'm still taught to contextualise my own thoughts within a much broader picture. And I really cannot think of a better way of improving our global citizenship than that. <laughs>